Jesus. All right, wonderful. Well, I'm certainly thankful for God's grace. Thankful that although undeserving, he showed favor to us. And we're glad that that's our standing with the Lord today. It's uh, standing in grace, and we're glad for that. And I'm going to pick up our story here in Ruth chapter 1 and verses 19 to 22. And again, just want to encourage you as we head into our, our conference time to be prayerful. And we're going to have a, a great time of, of preaching. And so please come along and be part of the both the morning and evening services. And I try to take as much time as you can to be here. I know that in speaking with those uh, men who are coming to, to speak and to, um, to give of the Word of God, that they're, they're excited to, uh, to be here once again. I think you know uh, most of the men, but I know that um, Pastor Miller, who's never been here, but never been part of our, our services or, or our conference, he's excited to meet you all and is a good friend of mine. But we're glad to, um, to host that once again, and I know that uh, we're busy just preparing, and so I hope that you'd be busy praying as well as we get into that. And, um, you know, I think the, that the, the reality of life sometimes brings us to places where we've got to make a choice. And, you know, we're going to observe the Lord's table here, in a Lord's Supper here in a little while. And really, it's a time where God brings us to a place of just choosing to remember Him and choosing to evaluate and get things right. And, you know, I think sometimes that we as God's people, we can be... Uh, we can be knocked about life and we can come through times where we can't explain. And yet in all of it, God is trying to draw us back to Him. You know, that's, that's how merciful our God is. That whilst we might go down a path and go so far, God's whole mindset is that if we are His, He wants to draw us back to Him. And really in this story of, of Ruth and when we're considering Naomi here, who, as we last learned, has gone through and, and has, has suffered a great deal of loss in her life. She's been knocked about life. She's in a, in a dire situation. And she finds herself now in a place where she had to make a choice. She finds herself in a place where in the midst of her bitterness, we see that she had to choose to come back. And, you know, with... with with us as, as God's children, there's always, a, there's always that drawing of the Lord to come back to Him. And we might find ourselves knocked about by life. We might find ourselves in a situation that we don't understand and we can't understand. And uh, it, it might even be so heavy and overwhelming upon us that we've turned bitter against Him. But His whole design and His whole heart for us is that we would return to Him. And He'll even use our our failure and even use those times where we can't uh, comprehend the situation that we're in to bring us back to a place of just returning, a place of plenty once again. And we're going to see Naomi here in her bitterness. We know that, that what bitterness is, it's, a, it's a extreme enmity, it's a, it's a hatred, it's a, it's a feeling of, of just absolute uh, hopelessness, bitterness, Someone said is like drinking poison and ex expecting someone else to die. And when, a, when, when we're, we're in a place where we're cornered, sometimes we get to a place that we're so, we're so overwhelmed 
really what it comes down to, comes down to we make decisions that harm ourselves. And we come to a place where we just can't find our way out. And that's why the Bible warns us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. And we know the danger of bitterness. We know the danger that we, we put ourselves in and those around us when we come to a place of bitterness. And here we see that's, that's exactly where Naomi's at. Right? Just by way of reminder, we know that they traveled away during a time of famine over to the land of Moab. And God already warned the, his people not to rely on Moab and not to go over there. And yet they went and, and they found themselves for a little while uh, in, in that land where they didn't know it. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, would die. And then her two sons would marry and they would, they would both die as well. And now here Naomi is stuck really with, with initially her two daughters-in-law, but then one Orpah, meaning, uh, meaning a, a, a gazelle, meaning someone who turns her neck around. So she went back and she, she, she didn't could travel with Naomi back to their sojourn to the land of, uh, of Israel there in Bethlehem. And so now it's those two, and the Bible makes that clear. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And so these two now, Naomi, and really our, our main protagonist in the story, Ruth, goes back to, to Bethlehem and she returns having experienced the hardships of life, the hardships of the journey. And yet what we understand is these two, and really they came with contrasting responses. Naomi decided and decided to respond in this whole thing and the heaviness of, of her situation with bitterness. And yet what we find with Ruth, who really, when you think about it, suffered just as much in, in, as far as loss is concerned as her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth, in contrast, with, with great commitment to God and great commitment to to travel with and to come alongside her mother-in-law decides to deal with her circumstances differently and really by being devoted and being, being committed to God. And, and I want to bring out to you this, this morning just a continuation of, of just really what happens in bitterness. You see, her life, Naomi's life had changed dramatically. Since the last time she was in Bethlehem, she was there and she had a husband, she had two sons and they went out and they went out seeking for some sort of solution to the circumstance that they found themselves in, that famine that was in the land. And now she returns and the question asked by those who knew her, this little town of Bethlehem, and they asked this question, is this Naomi? She, she became unrecognizable. She, she became someone that although perhaps they grew up with and had great familiarity with all of her kinfolk in, the, uh, in, that, in that little town, she comes back and she was different. And, and she declares it, she has an open admission. She says, don't call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. And that word Mara just simply means bitter. That's what they, they called that place where they drank bitter waters as they journeyed from 
uh, from uh, Egypt through to the promised land. When they were there, they drank those waters and it was mara, it was bitter. And that's what they found, uh, we find Naomi at. And, and, you know, she came from someone that was named Naomi, which means lovable or delightful, to someone who's gone through and, and really in many ways a victim of someone else's decisions, really in, in displaced in a strange land, somewhere where she didn't find her immediate support uh, networks. And she found herself really at the end of it disappointed by God. And if we're honest this morning, there are those in the congregation who have been through some things that really wasn't even in their own hands. And I think many times all of us can reflect on times when we've been, we've been overwhelmed by life circumstances because at the end of the day, we can't justify it. It was something that someone else did. It was a circumstance that was out of our control. It wasn't anything we had done. You know, we can sort of explain when it's us. We can explain when we've done wrong and then there was a corresponding chastening. There was a corresponding natural consequence of our own decisions. But it's hard to let it sit well within our our own hearts when it's not even really our own decision. When it's not even really within our own control, it just happened. And that's when, when we're in, in at times a, a place where Naomi finds herself in where really at the end of the day there's a, a bit of a disfigurement. There, there's a bit of a character change. There's a bit of a, a, a just a personality change even. And, and we can know those that perhaps have been a delight and yet the, the, the circumstances of life have buffeted them and they've changed irreparably it seems. And that's where Naomi's at. She, she finds herself at the, the, the goal of bitterness. Why? Because all of life has just happened to her. And I want to tell you that it starts with this. It really starts with an open admission. And, and that's, that's really, as they returned, they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? perhaps surprised that she had even returned and perhaps just maybe in their minds she and her family had been a foregone conclu- uh, a conclusion. They were gone. They were off to Moab. They, they were no longer part of that, that society, that place, and they had gone. And, you know, it's not like these days where you could send a letter, send an email, check your socials where people are at. No one knew what had happened to Naomi. No one knew the circumstance that she found herself in. No one understood really as she returned the circumstances that she's faced. And so her only explanation is this, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. You know what did this to me? I'm bitter. And she, she openly admitted her bitterness. And bitterness is what she had become. And you know, there's nothing that changes a person's character more in a negative sense, than bitterness. Nothing changes your identity more than what bitterness can change your identity. Bitterness can come and it can change your whole mindset. It can change your whole perspective of life. And, you know, bitter is what she had become and it was a dangerous situation. Really, when it comes to it, her character had become disfigured. 
you know, there's many, many people who, after, after weighing up the events of life, they come to a place where they've just become disfigured in their character. They become unrecognizable to those who know them best. We see that in marriages. We see that in, 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 uh, in the, the parent-child relationship. We see that even in a church setting. We see that in all different avenues of life when disappointment comes and when troubles come. And we see that that's a choice that Naomi made. She was bold in saying, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. She was just out there. She couldn't even deny it. It just spewed out of her as she was confronted with this question, is this Naomi? And you know, sometimes we can look at that and see just the disfigurement. And life can do that, doesn't it? Can't, can't it? Life can do that. You know, I, I read about a story, and I don't know if it was uh, Michelangelo or Donatello, not, not one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? One of the, one of the Italian Renaissance artists. Some of you, some of the young people got excited. Relevant. But I believe it was Donatello. He wanted to paint a, 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 a scene where Jesus was, was, was with his disciples, and so he went out into the city looking around to see just the, the perfect model for each one that he could sort of use as a, as a basis for his painting. And he found one that just looked so innocent. He, he, he saw one that just looked like there was no care upon his life. And he decided this must be Jesus. And so he had this one model to be Jesus. And he started at the center of his drawing the model for Jesus, and he started to draw and sketch him, and then pretty soon he found all the other disciples, and he decided to leave Judas last. He wanted to make sure, though, that he painted Judas, and this, this whole painting took him years and years. He, he wanted to make sure that every detail, every shadow, every, every little, uh, little part of the painting was, was, uh, was accurately done, this was going to be his masterpiece. And years had passed, and he went out again into the city looking for the perfect model of Judas. And so he found one that was completely haggard. He found one that just looked like he had, he had gone through some things. And so he decided, oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to use this man as my model. And he sat there, and he began to ask him some questions. He began to... This man began to relate that, you know, he had gone through some loss and he had gone through some hardship and life had beaten him down and now he was out in the street and he just couldn't, he felt like he didn't belong and he was surprised he would ask him. And then when he asked him his name, he gave a name that was familiar. And you know, it was the same model that seven years earlier he had used for Jesus. He had come and life had beaten him down. And he'd become bitter and to the point where he was disfigured. And you know, be careful to allow bitterness to, to lay hold in our heart because it could disfigure our character. To the point where we could be Christ-like and now we're much, much further from him than we ought to be. And we find Naomi that way. And what we see is how this plays out in her life. Firstly, we see in verses 20 to 21, 
And she said unto them, she says, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. And notice the outplay of this in her life, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Here's the, the first outworking of that. You know, when, when we see someone who's gone through a great deal of bitterness and it's obvious and in fact they've even openly admitted it, it's often there's a misplaced blame. And that misplaced blame often lands at the door of God himself. You know, bitter people find a way to blame their situations on God. And you know, uh, it's easy, isn't it, many times when things are going well to forget God. You know, it, it's amazing that in our world today that there are those who are living lavishly and there are those who just everything's going their way and they have no, no, not even a small scarret of desire to want to give God glory. They'll forget about God. But isn't it amazing how quickly people turn when things go bad, how quickly they remember God? Suddenly they remember the promises of God that he broke, seemingly. Suddenly they'll look at God and, and, and blame him for natural disasters. <laughs> they'll, they'll suddenly look to God to, to cast blame for the, the death of a loved one. They'll suddenly put, put at God's door the very things that, that they so took for granted and they say, you know what, this is all God's fault. And this is what happened with Naomi. She said, it's the Almighty that dealt bitterly with me. I'm bitter because of Him. And it's always with the thought of, of you know, it should have been better. It should have been this, it should have been that. And I think sometimes we limit God with our own expectations and then somehow blame Him for not granting what we expected. And Naomi finds herself with a contrasting life to what she left with, and now her response is to blame God for it. And I'm saying that we understand that God is the one who is in control of all things. He understood that there was, there was a famine. He understands when our bodies fail and there's hereditary disease. We, he, he understands all of that. He sees all of that. But, you know, we live in a fallen world. That was never God's intent for us. And yet what we find, find is we live in a world that is way, way fallen from the beauties of Eden. We're no longer in the garden. Sin has taken hold of this world. It's cursed. And we understand that then all of these circumstances, although God is above all of them, and at times even God allows it, we can so quickly question God's motive. And we have this idea of God like, you know, if we're with God, everything should work out. Everything we want should work out. But the reality is God is still in control regardless. And actually, we, the, the problem with Naomi wasn't the fact that she recognized God as the Almighty. It's that she recognized God as the Almighty who had a bad intention for her. Like God has bad motives. And, you know, sometimes that's really what we accuse God of. He has bad motives for us. That, that somehow he's done this to harm us and to, to, to show us that he's boss, that somehow he's this God who just 
strikes down lightning to just make our lives miserable. When in all reality, there's a drawing that, that Ruth and Naomi were in. They were being drawn to God. And, you know, that's the reality is, is, is we all go through. We all go through circumstances we don't like, but the key to it is how we respond to that. What is, what is our belief of God? You know, when we go through trying circumstances, when we go through times that we, we don't understand, do we, do we come to God and recognize Him for the, for the God who just works all things for good? Do we recognize Him as a God of love who, even despite the fact that we go through hardship, actually it's all in the motive of love? And, and you know, many times that's really where we try God like we put him in a courtroom and we accuse him of many things. But at the end of the day, what we're questioning is his motive is if his motive is right or his motive for us is wrong. And so Naomi, there's a misplaced blame. And beware, what I'm saying is when you, when you start to blame everything in your life on God. In Isaiah chapter 29, verses 15 to 16, the Bible says, Woe unto them that seek deep, to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? You know, as if God is confused by our circumstances. As if we have, to, we have the, the right and the wisdom and the knowledge to somehow question God's intent and God's framework of things. And really, we have to be submitted to, and really we have to, at times, even accept those things that we can't explain. Because God, in the end, is a God of love. And God, in the end, is one that is, at times, even allowing the circumstances of our lives to draw us back to him. But what we see is, firstly, there was a misplaced blame. But secondly, she had a skewed perspective. And that's really what it comes with often when we're in bitterness is that we somehow see things in a completely skewed way. We can't see as well. We can't see as clearly. And, and, and she says this, and we understand what she was saying. She says, I went out full, verse 21, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. And so that's why she says, why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. You know, she had a skewed perspective. She said, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. And we understand perhaps she was meaning there that she's now no longer with her family. But what was the original circumstance they found themselves in? Why did they leave in the first place? Because they were empty. They were in famine. They, 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 they found themselves in a place that they had real troubles. And rather than trusting in God's way to handle it, they wanted to handle it themselves. And they went to Moab. And they found themselves away from the place of God's blessing. And they made decisions based on economic gain rather than, than just trusting God and trusting His way and not compromising that. And she finds herself saying these things that aren't quite accurate, really. She had a skewed perspective. And, you know, many 
of those who go through bitterness, they just see things a certain way. They'll see what was perhaps a turning point that was trying. They'll see it with maybe rose-colored glasses. They'll see the past somehow in, and they'll forget the other struggles that they went through and they'll, they'll assume that today is even worse than it was yesterday. And the reality is she didn't come home empty. She came home with someone who when they had the choice, when it was presented to them that they had better choices and better alternatives, she had a Ruth in her life that just said, you know what, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your dwelling will be my dwelling. And, and, and she had a Ruth, and she wasn't empty-handed. She had someone who actually chose to be with her, who actually chose to show some commitment, and despite her own circumstances, overcome that and allow that to allow herself to trust God through her own battles and through her own disappointments. You see, in bitterness, we don't see our circumstances with the right view. And instead of seeing positively about the facts that she was home again, that actually now God had turned the season, and the season was from famine now, there was plenty back in the land. That she was going home to a place that was familiar, that she had other family, and that she actually had a future there because God had turned the season now. And yet she finds it, and she's looking at it like, no, I'm empty. And, and I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that, that, that that's not something that I would go down that, that whole thinking. But I'm just trying to demonstrate this morning that actually it's a skewed perspective of life. That it's a skewing. That, that, that the reality is that, that she had a, a, a place there that now was no longer in famine or drought. It was, in a, it was a place of plenty. Even the word Bethlehem, it's the house of bread. She was being drawn back to the place of plenty. And, and yet bitterness, what it does, it anchors us to the past. It anchors us to the things that we can't change rather than the things that can change. Rather than the things that can be done. Rather than the things that God is bringing us to. And by the way, can I tell you that God is the one that changes the seasons anyway. And that sometimes we want the seasons to change the way we want them to. And yet God in His infinite wisdom and infinite mercy and infinite grace upon us, He's the one that sees the seasons of our lives. And in His power and His might, He can change our season. That's why the Bible tells us to commit our way unto the Lord. To trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. And He's the one. And you might be in a season of famine. You might be in a season of trying. You might be in a season that, that is, is less than comfortable. You might be in a season where you're just trying to figure out how to survive. You're just trying to figure out how to get through it. But can I, can I encourage you, please trust God. Please understand that His heart for you is well. Please understand that although you don't understand, the God of all wisdom and the God of all grace and the God of all hope, is trustworthy, and he'll bring you to pass. And we find him, we find him faithful. We find him gracious. And yet we have, at times, we can be skewed in our perspective. 
I think of one who probably is the exemplar of, of those who go through a great deal of trial. And I think you would know who this is. It's Job. You think Naomi had a hard time. You think about what Job had to go through. Job, literally, he lost everything. Job went through, and, and you know, we understand Job was, was, he was a perfect man. He eschewed evil. He was, God had blessed him. He had put a hedge about Job. Job was a, a one who, when you look at his life the, and the things that he, he, God gave him, he was truly, in, even in our estimation, in our value system, we would say he was blessed. And yet, he was accused by the, by the wicked one. God was accused. And so to prove, to prove that, that Job was actually faithful, God allowed some things to happen in his life. And we, don't see, we would never have seen that. All of the underlying heavenly conversations that happened if, not, if God hadn't let us see it. But we see it. We see all of the dynamics of that. And, and we see that, that later on, even though Job started out well, he says, you know, God giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He continued to worship God even though he was going through it. God had to show him, though, that there was a point there where Job, there's some things you're imperfect in. There's some things that there's still room for growth. And we see even Job, in all of his faithfulness, he begins to go down this line of thinking in verse 11 Chapter 7, Job chapter 7, verse 11, if you quickly turn there, it says, Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain. And notice what he says, in the bitterness of my soul. In verse 12, he says, Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest the watch over me? When I say, my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions. He says, even when I'm asleep, I'm afflicted, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. I loathed it. I would not live always. Let, let me alone for my days of vanity. Notice the desperation, notice the skewed perspective that Job had. And notice that to the point where he was, he said, life's too much. And you know, there's people who have such a skewed perspective of life, they get to the point where it was, it's enough. And the tragedy of that. And, and Job's bitterness at this point, it, it, it made him despise life. It made him see that a different through a different lens, just the the, the heaviness of, of it all. And, and yet what we find, go back to Ruth chapter 1, is, is really the, the point of this whole story is that Naomi returned. Say, so Naomi returned and Ruth. Remember at the beginning of our, of our reading today, so they too, two of them went, and here's what I'm saying is it comes down to a pivotal choice. Because all that God does, all that He does in our lives is really a drawing to Him. All God does in, in the circumstances, both good and bad, it's to draw us to Him. And we go through things because 
God desires that we would be drawn closer to him. And Naomi returned. They returned and Ruth as well. And in the timing of it all to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And I want to say that this chapter that opened with wrong decisions ends with a return. And this was a pivotal choice that Ruth and Naomi had to make. It was a a choice that Ruth already made, but now it's a choice that Naomi had to make. She had to take steps to return. And and really, that's where it's at. You know, sometimes God will allow circumstances in our lives and situations in our lives to bring us to to a point of choice, to a point of return. And you know, we, we all, all of us, our hearts are prone to wonder. All of us, the, the, the goodness of God can spoil us. All of us here, when we think we've solved the problem, we can so quickly let go of God. And, and all of us here, we can come to a place where we think we can sun, suddenly trust ourselves. And He allows us sometimes to journey until we're emptied of self. And, and, and probably the best example of that is, is the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 15, and we won't take the time this morning, but you can read that story if you're not familiar. The prodigal son asked for his inheritance early. He asked for it for selfish reasons. He wanted to go. And he left and he went to the far country. He, he spends up all of his his inheritance on riotous living. He finds himself in a place where, where he tied himself to a citizen of that far country. And there he finds himself in the pig pen of life. And what, what does the Bible say about him? He came to the end of himself. He realizes he had it so good over there. And all of that, you know, the father stood there and watched. And he allowed him to go. Why? Because he came away empty. And sometimes he allows us to journey until we're emptied of self. You know, don't, don't think that you're just getting away with it. You know, it could just be that God in his mercy and in his grace, he still sees you. But it could just be he's letting you go to the point where you're just so empty of yourself, you have no other cho- choice but to return to him. And some of us are that way. Some of us are that stubborn. <laughs> Some of us are, are, that, are that rebellious at times that we have to go and be completely emptied, and God allows that, and yet he's still trying to draw us back. See, he, the, brod- the prodigal came out full, found himself empty, and went back to his place of fullness. And I want to I ask you, maybe you're, you're finding yourself, and maybe you are in that place. You're, you're journeying away from God. And maybe you're thinking in your head, well, I'm getting away with it. Hey, listen, you won't get away with it. It'll cost you. You'll find yourself maybe in a pig pen one day of life, and you might find yourself even doing the things that you once hated. You might even find yourself in a place where you just would never have imagined to find your place. And hey, don't, you don't have to go that far. You can return now. Hey, you don't have to go down and you don't have to get so, you can, you can just humble yourself now and get to a place of rightness with God and take that step to return to Him today. You don't have to. 
And yet, I think sometimes some of us do have to. And we've got to be completely emptied of self so that we can actually enjoy the fullness of our belonging to Him. And you know, sometimes He'll allow us to even break under the burdens of our failures. And He'll allow the, the natural consequences of our own decisions and sometimes even the decisions of others to come. And I think about Peter, who in, in Matthew 26, 75, Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which saith unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. And, and we know that, that Jesus had already warned Peter. He said, you know, if, if uh, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat, he says, if when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he was telling Peter, you know, Peter, you're going to have an epic failure. You know, that big mouth of yours that just wants to jump in and declare things that you don't really truly understand or know about. I'm going to bring you to a place where you're just so down on yourself and so, so uh, it's such a failure in your own sight that you're going to weep bitterly as I look at you. And you're going to be so downcast that you're going to have no choice but to go back to that Sea of Galilee where I'm going to meet you and I'm going to restore you. Why? Because sometimes the thing that has to be worked out of us is our own confidence in self. Because we can solve the problem. Because we have the solution. Because we can do it. Man, the reality is, if you read your Bible enough, the truth about us is we can't. We can't save ourselves. Our, our, our strength is no strength at all. And self can get in the way. And many times we can come to a place of too much confidence in our own ability that God has to bring us to a place of such failure that we're just, we have to weep bitterly. And yet that's the place where God turns it all around. So he had to come to a place of failure because he was self-confident. And, and yet at times he also brings us to these bitter places so that we can recall his mercies. And here's the last place I want you to turn to. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. This is the lament of Jeremiah, the he wept as he observed the city of Jerusalem and he observed the, the people. He wept at the realization of the judgment to come. And what we find in, in Lamentation chapter 3 is this process that God allows us to, bring th to come through at times. Here's verse 15. Lamentations 3.15, He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. So there's that breaking, there's that, the reality of bitterness. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. And then notice verse 21 where it pivots. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. 
because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You know, we often quote the, those verses, verses 22 and 23, and I know it's something I pray every morning, and I thank God. But you know, it's in the context of going through some hardship. It's in the context of going through some breaking. It's in the context of understanding that we can't rely on self. It's in the context of recognizing that God at times even fills us with those bitter moments. Why? So that we can recall and we're left with no choice but to hope in God. You know, that, that's really where we're at. And we find, we find Naomi returning to Bethlehem and that's where the story pivots. That's where the story gets interesting because what she didn't know yet was God was about to turn everything around. And the, the, the faintest hopes that she had, she took in that step to come back. And it might be that you don't even know how to hope anymore. Can you recall something to your mind? Can you recall, if you're saved, the salvation God's given you? Can you recall that your hope can be found in the God of all hope and comfort and peace? Can you recall that the place of plenty is actually way better when you come empty? And her brokenness brought her back to God's place of blessing. And ultimately, that's a journey that God wants us to take. You know, last year, our theme verse was Hosea 6.1, Come and let us return unto the Lord. And we highlighted those that first part of the verse, but the rest of that verse, he says, For he hath torn... And he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. And sometimes we have to go through the, the brokenness before the healing. Sometimes we have to go through being smitten and afflicted before he can bind us up. I want to tell you that the weight of the circumstances of life, it can bring us to bitter places. But at times, that's actually when we have the greatest clarity of choice. There's no other choice. Everything else we've tried, it hasn't worked out well. Nothing's really in our control. We maybe we've even done it our way, and now all we can do is turn to God. And all we can do is hope again. And the way from bitterness is actually God's doing. He, he brings us to that place only for us to take that step. And I love that in verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, Bidas, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. You know, what they didn't know was God already had turned the season, and God was about to do something, and, and really when it comes down to it, we've got to trust God because we don't know how far away we are from turning. We don't know if we're just one step away and one decision away from God turning the season and bringing us to a place of plenty. Once again, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time. Thank you, dear God, that you are a God who's in control. 
You are a God, Lord, who even in the circumstances of our lives that we don't completely understand, Lord, you, you still, in your mercy and your grace, Lord, have a plan for us and have a drawing of us. I pray, Father, that we would trust your heart if we don't see your hand. And that, Father, we would see that, Lord, at the end of the day, you care for us greatly. And even in the, the hardship of life, you have a plan. And, Lord, even in your mercy, you have a turning of the seasons of our lives in hand. I pray that you'd please bless as we, we now have this time of remembrance of you. Pray that our hearts would be still. That, Lord, even perhaps for those who are going through a bitter place, Lord, maybe they're in a place of just heaviness and, and overwhelming. And, and, Lord, there's a breaking that's happening in their lives. I pray that you would please help each one to recognize that they have hope in you at the end of it all. I pray that you'd help everyone. I pray that you bless this time now. I pray these things in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Let's all.